Good morning. If you have a copy of the scriptures, open up to Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. If you were expecting a Christmas series to start today, I'm here to disappoint you. So sorry. Um, here's my personal thing. Y'all know I love Christmas. So you're allowed to start listening to Christmas music in October because the Bible says so somewhere probably. But you're not allowed to start teaching Christmas stuff at church until December 1st. That's the rule. And so a lot of people start Advent today, but it's still November, which is weird to me. But you can listen to Christmas music all you want. I actually, uh, I was standing out there in the hallway before I came in here, and our kids' ministry is practicing their songs for their program coming up on the 19th. And y'all, they were getting after it. Me and Tyler Mosley were out there, and you could feel the wall shaking because the kids were making animal sounds so loud in the one song they're going to sing. So I encourage you to be here for that. But we're going uh, to do five verses in Galatians 6 today. Next week, we're going to start a series called Oh Christmas Tree, which I'll talk about here at the end of our service. And part of the reason we wanted to do these five verses today is because the remaining verses, the remaining 13 verses in this chapter, are actually going to be taught by one of our interns at the first of the year, um, going to be preaching in their first sermon. And so just an exciting time. They've been working on this for several months. And uh, so wanted to make sure we got up to this point so that the first of the year would be able to do that. So let's look at Galatians chapter six. If you'll stand with me in honor of reading God's word. Galatians chapter six, we're gonna read verses one through five. And God's word says this through Paul. He says, brothers and sisters, if someone is overtaken in any wrongdoing, You who are spiritual, restore such a person with a gentle spirit, watching out for yourselves so that you won't be tempted. Carry one another's burdens. In this way, you fulfill the law of Christ. Verse three, for if anyone considers himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. And let each person examine his own work and then he can take pride in himself alone and not compare himself with someone else. Verse five, for each person will have to carry his own load. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this day, for your word. God, the privilege that we have to gather around your word, to teach your word, to learn from your word, and to grow into the likeness of Jesus. Father, would you mold and shape us into that likeness this morning? Lord, give us open ears to hear from you in these verses today. God, soft, receptive hearts to hear from you today. And Father, hands and feet to live out these truths as we walk with Jesus the remainder of this week. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Y'all hear that in the background? I told y'all they were getting after it. You can hear it. That's like four layers of walls that they're singing through. So get ready for the 19th. But hey, I wanna teach on this simple subject today called nets, weights, and mirrors. And to start off, I wanna go out on a limb this morning. And I think I'm making an assumption, probably not. But in my experience, this tends to be true. And the assumption is this, that most of us, most people, we do not like confrontation. Most individuals, most of us, we do not like engaging in confrontation. I've honestly, I don't think I've ever met somebody that they wake up every morning and they say to themselves, you know what I would really like to do today? I'd like to get in a fight with someone. You know what I would really like to do? I would like to engage in a heated discussion with someone else on something that we disagree about. That would just get my day started on the right foot. Nobody likes confrontation. Now, if you're sitting here listening online, listening on the radio, and you think to yourself, oh, actually, I do. I love, I thrive on confrontation. You need to eat a Snickers and calm down kind of thing. (laughs) No normal human being thrives on confrontation. In fact, most of us, if we're honest, and I I include myself in this category, we would prefer just to do our own thing, live our life in peace, and really have no conflict whatsoever. 
<laughs> Amen. But here's the necessary and true part of life, and this is something I was reminded of in this passage, that confrontation, especially in the life of a Christian, is a necessary element to our spiritual growth. Confrontation is a necessary part of our lives. How so? What does the Scripture teach? The reality is, is that you have things in your life, just as I have things in my life that are harmful to me. Decisions that I'm making, activities that I engage in, thoughts that I allow to take up space in my mind that are are harmful and they're deterring my spiritual growth. And I need other Christians around me that are willing to confront those things in my life, to deal with those things in my life, and to have tough conversations with me. Just as I need those people, you need them too. You see, confrontation is a spiritual discipline that we all need to engage in. We don't like it, but it's necessary. It's not easy, but it's necessary. So what does that have to do with our passage today. Look again with me at Galatians 5. We ended last week, the end of chapter 5, with a conversation on unity. And we said over and over, summarizing Galatians 5, 15 through 26, that unity is necessary in the context of the local church, because what had happened in Galatia? You had these two competing groups, some that had followed Paul, some that had followed the Judaizers. And now, as this false teaching was being confronted, there was still relational division that was occurring in this church. And Paul warns them of this divisive spirit that can take over a local church if we do not guard against it and protect ourselves against it. And Paul says, be careful. Because when division starts to rise in the context of a church, you can function from two capacities. You can function from the capacity of the flesh, where you function from a very selfish motive, and it's all about you. Let me remind us, that's not from Jesus. Anything that is divisive and destroys unity in the context of our church or the church in general is never from Jesus, ever. But then Paul says we can make a decision. We can still have disagreements. We can still fight for unity, but we can do it from a place of the Spirit. Paul calls this walking by the Spirit. What does that mean? It means that we're functioning from a place of dependency upon Jesus, unified around a common mission of helping people find and follow the Lord. That means we don't have to agree on everything in the church. We're on the same page. There's some things that we're just not going to agree on, and that's okay. But Paul says unity is centered around us choosing, despite our differences, to love one another and to be unified around a common mission. And now Paul in this chapter starts to bring a little bit of of clarity to what he just said in chapter five, because here's the danger. And we could leave last week's message reading last week's uh, passage of scripture and think to ourselves, well, if I ever bring up anything in the church, then I'm going to be divisive. I'm going to be divisive if I bring something up. I'm going to be divisive if I have something that needs to be dealt with. I don't want to be a divisive person. And and Paul kind of flips that on its head and he says, no, no, no. There's some things that need to be addressed in the lives of other believers in the context of the local church. Some things that need to be addressed and emphasized. But listen to me. The way we address confrontation and conflict in our church matters. The way we address division in the church matters. Are we all on the same page here? The way and the posture and the tone and the way we converse about these things matters. The way we do this is everything. It makes all the difference. Because one capacity preserves unity in our church. The other one will continue to foster and create division. And I refuse. Let Let me publicly say this again. As the pastor of Living Hope Columbus, I refuse to stand idly by while anyone or thing tries to divide this church. I won't let it happen. 
I will fight to the bitter end to preserve unity in this church because Jesus commands us to. We are called to love one another. We don't have to agree on everything, but I will not let the mission that Jesus has called us to of helping people find and follow him be compromised. It's not gonna happen. So let's think about this from the context of these verses. How do we handle confrontation in the local church? Paul says, if you see any brother or sister in wrongdoing, then you need to address it. So how do, we, how do we handle confrontation? How do I handle these things? Three little phrases. I encourage you to write these down if you're a note taker. First one is this, is mend the net. These are going to be very applicable statements, and I hope these are helpful to you. First, mend the net. Paul starts in verse 1 of chapter 6 with this simple phrase, brothers and sisters, that lets us know who's he, who he's speaking to. Paul's speaking to Christians in this next phrase, and look at what he says. He says, brothers and sisters, if someone is overtaken in any wrongdoing, if you have a hard copy of the scriptures, I want you to circle that word if. In the Greek, that word if is actually a, a third-class conditional clause. That means nothing to you except this, that it actually means what Paul is about to say is likely to happen and likely to be true. He says, if this is probably going to happen in your church, this is probably going to be an issue that you have to deal with. What I'm about to say is likely to be true. So what's he say? Christians, brothers and sisters, family of God in the church, if someone is overtaken in any wrongdoing, what do we do about it? There's a couple things I want us to note here. First, Paul says that you can anticipate that there will be people in the context of your church who are struggling with sin. There will be people in the context of our church who are struggling with sin. It could be you, it could be me, it could be any of us. But Paul says those things do need to be addressed within the church. Why? Because we love Jesus enough and we love other people enough to not let them sit, wallow, and soak in their sin. Instead, what does love do in a family? I mean, just think about your family. If you see one of your children wandering off making terrible decisions, you don't just sit back and be like, well, I don't want to offend them. I don't want to hurt their feelings. What, what does love do? Love pulls it out of the pit. Love pulls you out of that situation. And that's what we're, we're called to do here as brothers and sisters in Christ. If anyone is caught in wrongdoing, Paul says we got to do something about it. A couple of other important notes here. Again, write this stuff down first. What wrongdoing was occurring in Galatia? Think back on just the last five chapters, 18 weeks that we've been in this book. Paul could be referring to those who had fallen prey to the legalism of the Judaizers, believing a false gospel, that Jesus wasn't sufficient for their salvation. And they hadn't repented of that. Paul says false theology should not be tolerated in your church. And we need to address it. Maybe it was the group of people who had brought a divisive spirit in chapter 5, who had said, we're team Paul, we're team Judaizers, we're team, we don't even know what's going on. Whoever they were, they were dividing the local church. And Paul says, nope, not going to be tolerated. Jesus doesn't tolerate that. We're not going to tolerate that either. We don't know exactly who he's referring to, but here's what we do know, that this is a reality. There's things that need to be addressed in the context of our church. Here's what's interesting as well. That word overtaken in verse one, circle that, underline it, highlight it. That word means to be surprised by something or taken off guard. It's a picture of a slow fade into sin meaning that the people that needed to be addressed in this church were now in this like compromising situation, looking around going, I don't even know how I got here. You ever known or experienced that yourself? Where you have this compromise, this compromise, this compromise, this compromise, and then you, you look down and you're like, I don't even know how I went from there to here, but here I am. Paul says, that's the people that are in your church. 
that there's some who are struggling with sin. There's some who are struggling with relational strife. And they don't even realize that they're necessarily doing anything wrong because they've been in it so long and the fade was so slow that it just seems normal to them. And Paul says, no, no, no. We need to address that wrongdoing. Friends, remember, sin is subtle. Sin can overtake you without you even realizing that it has overtaken you. So Paul encourages these believers. What's our responsibility? When we know that there's someone in our church who's struggling with sin, there's a brother or sister that we love that is dealing with something. There's this conflict that has arisen between two Christians. What do we do now? We grab the biggest Bible we can find, right? We slap them upside the head and then we open it up to the New Testament. And be like, this is where you're wrong. No, we don't do that. Do we gossip about them? Can you believe what so-and-so did? Believe what they said? Can you believe what they're dealing with? That's one of those oh me moments. I'm guilty. Can you believe what they did? Do we sit them down and we say to ourselves, I'm going to show you exactly why you're wrong and how your life is wrong according to the scriptures? No, I don't think so. What does Paul encourage us to do? With conflict, with sin, how do we address it? What's our responsibility? First, note what he says in verse 1. I think this is so important. Paul says, you who are spiritual are the ones who need to address it. You who are spiritual are the ones that need to address it. What, is it. what does it say there? He says, if anyone is overtaken in wrongdoing or sin, you who are spiritual restore such a person. What does it mean to be a spiritual person? We saw that last week in Galatians 5. It's someone who functions by the Spirit. Galatians 5, 25. Meaning that personally, me or you is so close to Jesus that it overflows from us. That in every conversation, interaction that we have, Jesus overflows, not my flesh. Paul says, if you're going to confront sin in someone's life, first, make, that you, make sure you confront it from the overflow of Jesus in you, not from the flesh that's trying to get out of you. There's a difference. You remember what we said about the fruit of the Spirit last week? What does a spiritual person look and live like? Look, let me remind us of these. It means they're a person of love, meaning they're self-giving and not self-centered, motivated by sacrifice for other people. They're a person of joy, meaning that they're content in all things because they know Jesus. They don't look for issues. They're just content because Jesus is good. They're a person of peace, meaning you have an overall well-being about yourself, that when you show up in a room, people don't get anxious about your presence. That's huge. They're a person of patience, meaning they're a person of long-suffering, willing to walk and wait in grace with other people who are struggling. They're a person of kindness. Y'all remember what I said last week? There are enough mean people in the world and there are enough mean people in the church. If you're mean, get out. There's enough of them. Jesus calls us to be kind people, meaning that we're kind to one another. Our kids have been learning about that next door in the kids' ministry last week. Kindness is a lost art in our culture. We're pretty mean a lot of times. Jesus says, if you're spiritual, you're going to be a kind person. It means you're a person of goodness, seeking the good of those around you for no personal benefit. You're a person of faithfulness. It means you're loyal no matter what. You're a person of gentleness. It means you bring peace and comfort, not stress and anxiety. And you're a person of self-control, meaning you can guard your speech and actions for the well-being of other people. Paul says, if you're a spiritual person, yes, you need to confront sin in the lives of other human beings, but do it from that position of the fruit of the Spirit, not from your flesh. 
When we see sin in the lives of our brothers and sisters, we should lovingly confront that, but we do it from the right personal posture first, not focusing on them initially. I focus on me initially. And once I got me right, then I can come to you. That's the the order of things that Paul calls us to. Second, Paul tells us in verse six, verse one, he says, spiritual people, you restore a person with a gentle spirit. That's where we get that phrase, mend the net here for verse one. That word restore is used in Matthew chapter four and it's used in um, Mark chapter one. It's referencing the disciples when they would go fishing before Jesus called them. If you know anything about first century fishing, just to give you a, a crash course, they had these gigantic nets, sometimes a quarter mile long. They would go out, they'd cast these things out, they'd row their boat around to create this huge wall of a net. And then they would take these boats and just they would heave and hoe, pulling this net across the, the sea floor as they're trying to catch fish. But what is the problem? You pull a net that large across that vast of a distance, you're gonna snag it on things, you're gonna pick up things that you don't actually want, you're gonna rip it and you're gonna tear it. In Matthew chapter four, in Mark verse one, what do we see happen? The fishermen, the disciples, had been out fishing all evening, they come in, they don't just take their net and cast it to the side. What do they do before they put it away? They mend it. They mend the net. What does it mean to mend? It means they're, they're fixing the sections that are broken. They're cleaning off the stuff that shouldn't be in there. They're retying the line and they're restoring it, ready? Back to its original purpose and intention. When Paul calls you and I in the confrontation of sin and the confrontation of conflict in the context of our church to restore people, it's the same word as mending the net. It means when we approach people and we talk through sin that someone else is struggling with, we do it from a position of ready to help them heal. We, we want to restore them back to God's intent for their life from a position of care and grace. We don't come as Bible-thumping jerks. Yeah, we come as grace-filled Jesus people. Bro, I see something in you, and I love you enough to walk through this with you. Can, can I help you in this? Can we walk through this together? Again, keep going. In verse 1, Paul says that the restoration occurs from a gentle spirit. He emphasizes that fruit of the Spirit from Galatians chapter 5 of gentleness, grace, and action. This posture of peace, not war and anxiety. Too often, and I've been the recipient of this so many times, especially, again, you guys understand this, but in, in, in what I do as a, a pastor, if you didn't know this, people in the church are incredibly opinionated. <laughs> There's news for you. They're very opinionated and people will come and they're trying to address things that they see in my life, which is fine. And I welcome that, encourage it. But sometimes we don't come from a position of gentleness. We come from a position of war. And people will approach you and they'll approach me and they'll say, I just have things on my mind that need to be said and you're just going to have to hear me. (laughs) You want to (laughs) fight? Listen to me. Anybody that says something like that, or maybe you've heard this one before, I'm just going to say it. And if they don't like it, that's their problem, not mine. Huh? You ever been there? Aaron came to preach a little bit this morning. Can I tell you something? That's not from Jesus. That posture in addressing conflict and sin is never from Jesus. Paul says, if you're going to restore someone caught in wrongdoing, first you're spiritual, and then you do it from a posture of gentleness first. You come with a gentle spirit. You come to mend a relationship, not tear it apart more. We we come to restore, not trample. We don't come to shoot our wounded. We come to walk alongside those who are wounded. That's what Jesus calls the church to do. 
Confrontation is necessary in the life of the local church. We need it, but we come from a position of compassion for those who have fallen and may have sin that maybe they don't even realize that they're struggling with. Look at verse 1 again. Paul says, as he continues, restore such a person with a gentle spirit. And then he says, watching out for yourselves so that you won't also be tempted. Paul says, the way that you and I approach other Christians to address sin or conflict is indicative of how we view ourselves. This is so important here. He says, because sometimes we'll look at someone else who has a sin struggle in their life and think how terrible they are. And Paul says, be very careful because just as they had fallen, you could fall too. You could struggle with the very same thing. So approach them in the same manner that you would want someone to approach you with a mending restorative spirit, not coming to tear the relationship up more. So we've confronted sin. You're like, man, I'm really glad I cleaned a church today. I wish we were talking about baby Jesus and angels. This would be a lot better. Point number two, Paul says, we mend the net and then we carry the weight. Goodness, this is so important. This is such a beautiful picture that Paul keeps painting for us here because we don't only seek to restore this friend who's fallen into sin, we help carry them out of that sin. That's part of restoration. Look at verse two. Paul says, we carry one another's burdens. Anytime in the scriptures you see that phrase, one another, it means one Christian helping another Christian. Uh, uh, Christianity, if you didn't know this, is not a solo sport. It's done in community. It's why the gathering of the local church is so important. But he goes on to say, he says, we want to carry one another's burdens. What does that mean? I read one commentary this week. They said, imagine somebody who has this giant weight on the back of their shoulders that is literally crushing them and there's nothing they can do to lift it up. The idea conveyed is that another Christian who loves them so much crawls underneath that crushing weight with them to help them lift it up so that they don't have to carry it alone anymore. We don't just point out sin and say our peace and then walk away. That's not what Jesus has called us to. No, when we lovingly confront sin in someone else's life, we don't make them bear the weight of that alone anymore. Rather, we carry that with them. The only way I could think to illustrate this was over at the Finding Hope Center. We've got that new contract with the uh, furniture store in Columbus. We've been picking up these couches. Y'all don't know what kind of couches you have at your house. These things literally weigh like 2,000 pounds. They have so much electronics and metal inside of them. It's like, I don't even know how this is comfy because it, it just seems like a transformer kind of thing. There's so much metal. And we used to have couches where like one person could shimmy it around, no problem. But these new couches, trust me, I've tried to move these on my own. It is impossible. If you've ever worked in the Finding Hope Center, you know what I'm talking about. They are so heavy. But you know what happens when you have two people, three people, four people carry them? the weight is significantly lighter. That's what Jesus has called us to do. I, I have no right to point out a blind spot in your life and then walk away with my chin in the air going, I am so spiritual and they are the worst. Paul says, if you're going to confront sin in someone's life, you better be ready to walk with that individual too from a position of gentleness. That's love in action. That's the fulfillment of the law of Christ. Verse 2 People don't even only need to know they can cast their burdens on Jesus. Peter talks about that. But we should be able to cast our burdens on one another. I told my wife last night, I just, as I read this verse, I just picture an individual, just someone imagine just walking right outside of our church with maybe a wounded leg and a black eye and a little bit bloodied up. And as they're limping along in front of our church, I'm so guilty of looking at that person and being like, oh man, that's a bummer. I'm going to pray for them. And then we don't, right? But what does Jesus call us to do? No, when we have wounded soldiers, we go to them 
We get underneath them and we walk with them. We carry them out of that stuff. We have no right to point out sin in someone's life and then just leave town. No, we carry one another's burdens. Friends, one of the phrases I kept being reminded of this week was this, that confrontation in the context of our church that doesn't result in deeper unity among believers is not biblical confrontation. It's conflict. There's a difference. Confrontation is very biblical. It's done from a posture of love, and it promotes unity among family. Conflict is divisive and destructive and destroys. Here's the last one. Paul says, make sure you look in the mirror. He says, if you're going to engage in the ministry of confrontation, you're going to restore people who have caught in sin, fallen into sin. He gives us a few warnings of self-reflection. Verse 3, he reminds us again, don't think that you're immune to sin yourself. Don't think you're immune to sin yourself. Don't look at other people and go, I'd never do that. I'd never make that decision. I can't believe they did that. That would never be me. Paul says, be very cautious letting your guard down because it could be you. Verse number four, Paul says, look in your own mirror before pointing out the sin of someone else. Self-reflection is a very important spiritual discipline. Jesus addressed that. If you're going to point out the speck in your brother's eye, make sure that you deal with the log in your own. Christians, it's okay that sometimes we need to judge one another. I hate that when people are like, don't judge me. Only God can judge me. Number one, you've all seen this before. Only God can judge me should terrify you. We're all on the same page there. But Christian judging one another is actually welcomed in the scripture. Because if I see sin in your life, I want to help you not live that. If you see sin in my life, you want to help me not live that. Paul is calling us to that here. But he says, before you're going to point out the sin in someone else's life, before you're going to address the issue that you got with somebody else, Paul says, make sure you look in the mirror of Scripture yourself first. Address your issues before you go to somebody else. And then verse 5, Paul says, carry your own load and pick up those who have fallen. Listen. Verse 5 and verse 2 seem to be saying contradicting things. Because in verse 2, what did he say? Carry one another's burdens. Verse 5, what does he say? Carry your own load. You're like, Paul, it's been four verses. I don't understand. How can I carry one another's burdens, yet I have to carry my own load? Think about this. And this is just a little phrase I wrote down. Remember, you're responsible for your own life, and only you are responsible for you. But if somebody else has fallen man, it's really good to have people who love you around you. Be the person you would want around you if you've fallen to people who have fallen. You're responsible for you at the end of the day. Alone, you are gonna stand before God and give an account for your life. But my gracious, I sure pray that I have brothers and sisters who love me enough to get underneath my arms and shoulders when I've fallen and that will be willing to walk with me. You see, friends, none of us are immune to sin. And I think that's where Paul points us this morning. We all have blind spots. There's things in our lives that we don't see that we need other Christians to lovingly address. I was thinking about it this week. I did this illustration with my wife last night. I love illustrations. Think about your vision. This is going to be a participatory thing as we close here. Did you know that your, your scope of vision in each eye is roughly shaped like a bean, like a pinto bean? If you took a pinto bean and you kind of tilted it at a 45 degree angle and you close one eye, that's kind of the shape of your vision. It's almost like a little bit of a triangle that's curved. Close one eye, just so you see, so you understand. This makes sense here in a second, right? You understand that. Now watch this. If you take your left hand and you hold it parallel, perpendicular, whatever this is, with your ear on the side of your head, you have to do it. 
Pretend we're in youth group in the 90s. Close your left eye. So left hand, close your left eye. Can you see your hand? Nope. What has to happen for you to see your hand? You can put it down. You have to open up this eye. Now, when your left eye is closed, is this hand here? Mm-hmm. My hand's waving and moving around. If I made a fist and I was coming at the side of my head to punch myself, this eye would have no idea that this threat exists over here. Until what? Until this eye opens up and tells this eye. God created us very uniquely where our eyes function together. If I close this eye, there's things over here that I can't see. because I don't understand. How, what do I have to do? I have to open this eye. It's this simple reminder that we have blind spots, that there's things that I can't see. There's threats coming up against me. There's sin in my life that I don't even realize I'm engaging in. And I need other people that can see where I can't see, to see things that I don't see in my own life, who are willing to come alongside me from a gentle spirit, wanting to restore me, say, hey, Aaron, and I see this in you. Um, how can I help you with it? How, how can we work together to move past this? You see the carrying of burdens? It's not, I see this and I'm going to say my piece and then I'm going to leave. That's conflict. Confrontation says, I see something in you that maybe you don't see yourself and I want to walk with you so that you don't struggle with that anymore. How can we do this together? It's the gospel. It's the reminder, I was thinking about this last night as we closed, that Jesus didn't leave us wallowing in our sin, but he came alongside us and he, he was the solution for our sin problem. When we fulfill the law of Christ, we're, we're mirroring the gospel to people, not willing to leave them in their sin struggle, but willing to come alongside them, modeling the gospel for people that Jesus wants to redeem them and rescue them from the muck that they're stuck in. I have no like fancy way of closing this. And I know maybe this wasn't the most like, you're not going to leave here today and call your aunt Sally and be like, wow, we heard the most encouraging message in the world this morning. What was it on? How to confront people in their sin. It was great. But can I encourage you with this? Divisive spirits want to come into the church and divide us. Sin wants to come into the church and divide us but a church that is centered on Jesus and seeking to be spiritual, seeking to be those who overflow from the fruit of the Spirit, we can deal with those things from a posture of love and gentleness, and it will actually promote a deeper unity in this church. So I just want to encourage you. This was hopefully a very applicable message today. Be careful. Let's guard our speech and guard our actions to preserve the unity of this church but also promote the spiritual growth of one another. Let me pray for us. Father, what a good day it's been. God, I thank you for the reminder of the family that you've called us to be. And God, sometimes when you gather a family together, there's stuff that has to be dealt with. So God, I pray when those times and seasons come, Lord, because we know they will, that you would find us to be people of gentleness, that you would find us to be people who seek to mend nets. And Father, you would find us to be people who carry burdens. God, would you protect this local church, as we prayed last week, from any divisive spirits that would seek to come in and destroy us. 
And may we always be people of unity and love who are always seeking the best in one another, seeking to help each other grow into the likeness of Jesus and seeking always to move the mission forward of seeing one more person come to know Jesus as their Lord. Thank you for this church and this family and the story that you're writing through us and allowing us to be a part of. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you.